Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, so if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy, we're going to read from. It's, um, it's, it's really uh, apropos for the occasion. Um, Paul is writing to his uh, beloved um, uh, young comrade. Uh, and what makes these words so uh, particularly poignant and powerful is that uh, shortly, maybe days after he pens this, um, these words to Timothy, he is executed. So he is, uh, he is awaiting his execution in Rome uh, when he writes these words. Um, so stand up. I'm going to read part of, uh, if you would, I'm going to read part of chapter 2 and then part of chapter 4 of 2 uh, Timothy. So the apostle writes, So then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 3 he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In chapter four, verse one and following, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. The word of God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated, please. Be a good soldier, Paul says, of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a little boy, I didn't dream of being a pastor. Pastors weren't held in high regard in uh, my family. My father was a World War II veteran. He tended to think of, of pastors as cowards uh, from his experience that a lot of uh, men um, went into ministry to seek deferments to avoid uh, being drafted into the war. Uh, um, a memory he had from a young, um, being a young man. My grandfather I remember when he asked all uh, my siblings, I were there, six of us around the table one Thanksgiving, he asked what we intended to do vocationally. And, um, and I said I was, I was pretty certain I was going to be a pastor, and you should have seen the look of disdain that crossed his um, face. I still remember he said, you know, you're not going to make any money doing that. He, he, uh, his view was that this world had producers and it had consumers. He was a producer. Pastors were charity cases. They, were, uh, they, they, they survived on the hard work of other people. Uh, 
So as a boy, I aspired to be a garbage man. Um, or uh, uh, dating myself, a gas station attendant. Um, but most of all, actually a soldier. You know, with four brothers, nothing occupied our childhood imaginations more than playing war. We would choose sides, we would lob grenades and attack with bayonets and clear caves with flamethrowers. The first movie I remember going to in a theater was The Bridge at Remagen. And uh, my favorite movie as a child was The Great Escape, starring um, the legend Steve McQueen. Um, you know, nothing in our house intrigued us quite as much as the Japanese machine gun my, grand my father brought back from Saipan in World War II. So deep in the heart of most boys of that era was a desire to prove our mettle in the crucible of combat. So Brandon, um, this morning um, you have been drafted. You have been sent into the fray by the Lord Jesus Christ. You've responded to the invitation of the Apostle Paul. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Our world is roiled with conflict, right? Ukraine, read of the horrors uh, on the battlefield. The Middle East has exploded. Uh, we don't know what, uh, what the news will tell us today has happened in the Middle East, do we? And, um, and we know we face an almost certain um, coming clash uh, with the powerful nation of China. Uh, so this conflict on every side but make no mistake that the advance of the kingdom of God is a conflict as important as any ever waged. This is the great battle. This is the epic struggle, um, the great war. And to be chosen as a soldier and enlisted in this cause is to embark on the greatest life there is. Um, so let's talk about what it means to be a good soldier. Ready? Got a sermon outline? A good soldier is on mission, right? Paul wrote Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, be on mission. What was the work of, uh, what was the mission of the Lord Jesus? The mission of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, is that he came into the world to seek and save the lost. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, uh, that the Son of Man, John chapter 3, came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus hates the devil. He came to destroy his work in this world. So the mission assigned to Brandon is to lead this church to charge the enemy. Read uh, a couple years ago a book called Panzer Killers. It was written by a guy named Daniel Bolger. That's not Panther Killers, that sounds like a Netflix uh, documentary. Panzer Killers, this was World War II. So when the Allies um, managed to get a, uh, a foothold, a beachhead um, in, um, in France after D-Day, they then faced the daunting task of what? Advancing. Um, and uh, they had to advance across the Bocage, the, the French uh, farmlands, and uh, they were cut up into squares and uh, those squares had hedgerows and those hedgerows were four feet deep and they were 15 feet high and on top of them there were trees and, and thick shrubs and enmeshed in those trees 
and shrubs were Nazi soldiers with um, the, a much better equipment, much better machine guns and cannons and tanks than, um, than the uh, allies possessed. And these were soldiers who were already battle hardened. They had been in combat and, uh, and the, uh, the, the allied boys were um, inexperienced, un, uh, untested in combat. And uh, what this guy is writing about is um, the fact that some of those commanders um, were incredibly brave and, and led their men from the front right into the heart of, uh, of the daunting task of challenging that enemy. Um, one was named Joe Collins. Um, one had a last name of Patton. I think you've heard of him. One of them was a man named Maurice Rose, who may be um, one of the most greatest war heroes of World War II, hardly known. Uh, he's the most decorated um, officer general in World War II who died in combat. He's buried in, um, in a Dutch uh, cemetery. And, uh, and the author writes this book saying, you would not believe how many of the leaders stood in the back. They shuffled papers, they studied maps, they, they moved somebody here or there. But the one thing they would never do is engage the enemy. Um, Brandon, engage the enemy. That's your calling. Lead the church in that. And what's the weapon by which we fight? What does it say in 2 Timothy? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So give paramount attention to your communication of God's word. Yes, care for the sick, counsel marriages, disciple new believers, welcome visitors, but only one person every week gets to stand uh, up front and, uh, and preach. So give attention to it. Work hard at it. It is the hardest part of the job because it's combat. You're going into combat. You're fighting for the souls of people. So I had a friend. He was starting a church the early days of his ministry. Uh, one Sunday when he was finished, he walked uh, to the back to greet people at the end of the service. Notice his wife wasn't uh, there. He usually would pass her on the way out. And uh, in the narthex, he noticed that uh, as he was greeting people, usually she would be out there too. There'd be a crowd uh, of people she was talking to. She was nowhere to be seen. When he went out to his car, he noticed her car. Of course, they, they traveled to church separately. Her car was already gone. He was just puzzled by this. When he made his way home, she greeted him at the door and handed him a sack lunch. And she said to him, I want you to take this lunch and I want, to, I want you to go back to your office and I want you to start working on next week's sermon. Because that sermon was terrible today. And she said, and so was last week and so was the week before and that's been a trend lately. And she said, you're not working hard enough on your sermons and I will not raise my children in a church where the preaching is lousy. So thank you, Robin, for, for that. <laughs> I didn't want to out you, but no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Robin, but um, preaching is hard, you know, convincing the skeptic, correcting the errant, cheering on the discouraged, wooing, wooing that wanderer to come home 
to Jesus. One of my professors, John DeWitt, said, we do not need mealy-mouthed, fuzzy-thinking, compromising preachers whose first thought is whether or not what they say may give offense either to those who hear them or to the community at large, but rather preachers whose first commitment and therefore first impulse is obedience to the Lord in his service, that they have been enlisted, to whom they belong, and to whom they must give an account. Steve Brown, who is also a mentor of mine, said it a little differently. He said, don't you shilly-shally. The pulpit is the emergency room, right? And people come to us broken. We're trying to save lives. When we preach, we often forget the power of the gospel to roll back the darkness. Just this week, um, I was reading in John chapter 20, uh, at Jesus in the upper room with the apostles on Easter Sunday. He's resurrected from the dead and he goes and he makes that appearance to the apostles. Remember? Remember who's not there? Thomas is not there, right? Everyone else is gathered there in the upper room and Jesus addresses them. He greets them and, and then the Bible says, and when he said this, he breathed on them. Now when I read that this week, I thought, I don't think I ever... Really? I don't think I ever saw that. That's weird. He breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the, the realization that um, one of the words for the Holy Spirit is breath. The same word that, 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 that uh, is used for spirit is breath in the, in the Hebrew. And that the whole Bible starts with the Holy Spirit hovering over chaos and darkness and God breathes out his spirit on the chaos of, the, of, of what there is and it comes to life. Let there be light and there's light, right? So God, Jesus meets with his apostles and he breathes the Holy Spirit into them and then what does he say? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. He gives the apostles power, right? The power of absolution. The power to forgive sins. It's the power of the pastor, the preacher, ordained and set out and sent into the ministry with the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, I mean, get baptized even here. I just saw water drip. Um, That'd be a moment. Um, Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, Sometimes we forget Sometimes I forget that when, when you're preaching, we're throwing dynamite out, has power. So stay on mission, um, Brandon. Um, the good soldier goes with confidence into the darkness. So I've told you before, some years ago, we had a staff member. She was a uh, firecracker. She just brought inspiration and, um, and joy to uh, our team and uh, she calls me up one day and she says, um, um, her husband was a school board attorney in Hernando County and she said, uh, my husband's taking a job in Broward County, Fort Lauderdale. And, um, and I thought, well, that'll be hard. He'll have to commute home on the weekends to be with you. And uh, she said, no, I'm, I'm, uh, we're going, we're all going with him, we're all going down there. And I just kind of lit into her and I said, I don't think you guys have any idea what you're doing. I'm from South Florida. That is a nest down there of vipers. Do you know that the entire um, previous school board in Broward County, who's, they're gonna be your husband's boss, he's gonna answer to them. They're all in prison. 
uh, for corruption and graft. Uh, and do you know that the entire school board that's hired him, that he's going down there for, is all, are all under federal indictment as well. So what are you thinking? And she said to me, you know, I, I thought I had my pastor's number. I thought when I called this was my pastor, but apparently not. Would you put my pastor on the line? Because my pastor's always exhorting us as a church to go into the darkness, to go into the broken places. Don't live in the, the she-she community. Don't try to find a place to live where everything's calm and there's no crime and everything's glorious. And that's called heaven. Go where it's broken. Go where people, uh, go, in, go into the darkness with the light. So that's what we're doing. I think my pastor would understand. Would you get him and put him on the phone? Um, power, mission. Brandon, you'll get to see the spiritually dead raised and marriages healed. You'll see the drunks get sober and mean people become sweet and the arrogant made humble. You are a soldier in the Lord's army and there is no better life than having a front row seat to watch Jesus destroy the works of the devil and chase the darkness away. You know, I don't like to call, um, I don't like to call this thing a church sometimes because sometimes I think when people hear the word church, they think, um, they think, oh, that's a nice place, pretty building. You drive up, you walk in, you sing some songs, you hear a message and you go home. That's church. We did church. No, this is a mission. Um, when you're a missionary, you know, people think missionary, that means they send you to Bangladesh and, you, and you, you don't have the comfort of family and you don't have the comfort of home and you don't have the food you're used to and you can't even speak the language and it's hard and it's difficult. Well, that's what you are, Brandon. You're a missionary. They'll call you a pastor, but you're a missionary. Dropped into the darkness to lead this church to be on mission. Got it? So... Be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The good soldier's on mission. Secondly, the good soldier serves. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good soldier models a completely counter-cultural way of life, a life of service. I love what Jesus said. I was telling the pastor's class just the other night. Jesus said, the one who seeks to save his life will lose it. That is what the complete orientation of our culture is that the way to have a life is to make your life about you, right? Is to discover who you are on your inside, please yourself, be authentic to yourself. That's what life's about. Find your journey, find what makes you happy, and, uh, and do that and you will have life. Don't be trapped by duty or obligation or, or any of those things. Jesus said, the one who tries to do that loses his life. The very thing you think will give you life cause you to be miserable. And we see it all over the place. The prosperity of our American culture has made our um, country the most um, pharmaceutical dependent people who have ever lived on the planet earth and almost all of the pharmaceuticals have to do with what? Depression and anxiety and helping people to feel good. Um, Jesus said, if you seek to find your life that way, you lose it. But the one who gives up his life for my sake 
He is the one who finds it. Brandon, lead us, man. We need, we need examples of people that are laying down their lives. It, 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 um, it grieves me that we have a boy problem in our culture, a failure for young men to launch. They, they enter their 20s and they're purposeless. Their dream might be of wealth or ease or fun or travel. I don't know, more video games. But it's not a life of working hard, right? It's not a life of going to work early in the morning and working all day long and maybe working six days a week and then finding a woman and and devoting your life to her and serving her and raising children and pouring yourself out for children, paying for their schooling, um, coming home at night when you're exhausted and helping them with their homework and volunteering to coach their teams and, and uh, not only serving your wife and serving your family, but a life of serving your community and serving your country. That's lost. I love this, The Atlantic Magazine. This is a non-Christian writing this. This is someone enmeshed in, uh, in secular culture. It says, modern culture has a long gestating obsession with authenticity and individual self-fulfillment. The climate warms, wars rage, our country lurches toward a perilous election all problems that require real action. And somehow, you do you has become the American ruling class's three-word Bible. That's not a Christian writing those words. That's somebody enmeshed in secular culture who can see the problem in our culture keenly. Jesus said the greatest among you is the one who what? Finds themselves. Is that what he said? The greatest among you is the one who serves the great you want to find life serve serve the Lord Jesus find a cause worth devoting your life to I love uh, what Zionis um, says in the movie Gates of Fire about Xerxes he said I will tell his majesty what a king is a king does not abide within his tent while his men bleed and die upon the field A king does not dine while his men go hungry nor sleep when they stand at watch upon the wall. A king does not command his men's loyalty through fear nor purchase it with gold. He earns their love by the sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which compromises the harshest burden, a king lifts first and sets down last. A king does not require service of those he leads. He provides it to them. He serves them, not they, him. Brandon, that's what it means to be senior pastor. You're the lowest of the low. You serve. Um, That's what our world so desperately needs. Suffer with me. Um, As a good soldier of Christ, Paul writes those words just before he's executed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and what? You know that quote? He bids him come and die. When God calls a man, he says, come and die. Soldiers. So what does that look like? Work hard, Brandon. Um, Work hard because this is not a job. It's not a 40-hour work week. Um, You're at war with the devil. You're fighting for souls. It demands all you've got. Um, Eat, drink, sleep, walk, talk, and bleed for the bride of Christ and for the king himself. Now don't neglect your family, but lead them to embrace your life and self-denial for the king. 
fact, you could even get on the roof and <laughs> fix the leak that's now soaking my Bible. And, uh, and some of you are saying, why isn't it soaking his message? Um, it's hard work. Brandon, endure hardship. Persevere, don't quit. Ministry is hard. The sheep bite. People you pour out your life for will leave the church disparaging you online, publicly. You'll get emails that are scathingly harsh. You know, there was a period in our church in which I would get, if I got a nasty email, particularly if it was anonymous, I would read it to the church. I just wanted them to see. And very often when I read those emails, people would gasp. Actually hard to believe what people would say under the anonymity of their pen. Um, um, I told them last night that uh, one uh, time, uh, some years ago, there was a pastor in Tampa named Henry Lyons, and Henry Lyons made a mess of his life. He, he was the head of a national Baptist um, um, uh, denomination. And uh, some, I think the Tampa Bay Times may have unearthed the fact that he had it was embezzling money. He had mansions all over the place. He had mistresses. He had all this. And it was a whole series of articles in the paper. It was a big scandal. Henry Lyons taking the people's money and, and, and you know, was, had a pri- private jet everywhere. And, and um, about the time all that was going on, we bought a car. And uh, that car was about, you know, five, six years old, had about 55, 60,000 miles on it. I think it was a Ford Edge. And um, in the first day I had the car, I must have had the windows rolled down and I was leaving the church parking lot and I heard someone say to someone else, there goes Henry Lyons. Um, now I could say that didn't really bother me, but it's funny how I remember it. Um, You'll face, Brandon, disinterest, devilish opposition, financial strain, and when the going gets tough, people you thought would stand with you, too often they won't. There will be gut-wrenching sorrow, fatigue, failure, moments where your words or action will wound people. You'll hate yourself, and uh, you'll just wish you worked at Wawa, you know? Just want to stand at the register, check people out. My first day as a pastor, something happened to me that was valuable to me. In June 18th, 1983, my family and I moved here. It was our first son was one year old on the 18th. We got here about six, seven o'clock. It was dark already, so it was summer. It might, might have been nine o'clock on Saturday night. And the first sermon uh, to preach was the next day, Sunday morning. The congregation of 10 or 15 gathered um, there for that message. And when it was over, you know, it didn't take, it didn't take long to greet everyone after church. There uh, wasn't much lingering to do. And uh, I'll never forget walking out and a young man came up alongside of me and he said, I just want you to know that um, I voted against you to be our pastor and that I hate you. That was, I had not been here 24 hours uh, in this town. That was my first uh, time to preach. Uh, well, first time as a pastor. And, um, and I remember getting in the car and telling Diane about that and just saying, man, if I chose this career 
uh, to achieve popularity and, uh, and plaudits from people, I have made a tragic mistake. Um, it was the best thing. It was the, it, right away, right out of the gate, it was like, um, look to the Lord Jesus uh, for your security, um, not uh, to people. So Brandon, uh, this gig's hard. Uh, you'll want to quit. Don't. Stay at your post, stay on the wall. Uh, lay down your life for the sheep. Um, um, too many young pastors ask, won't ministry damage my family? No, no. Ministry may be the very thing that rescues them from our cultural pandemic of narcissism. The best thing for your children um, can be for you to lead them into the, a life of self-sacrifice. My um, son-in-law called me and I've told you before and asked if he could marry my uh, daughter years ago. What do you say in those conversations? You know, you want to be a tough guy. Um, you want to scare him a little bit. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I liked him and, and frankly, I was glad somebody was taking her off my hands. And uh, <laughs> so, but, you know, I, so I just said, I said, hey, Eric, I said, um, here's a deal. Um, you love my um, daughter. You love my grandkids. I'm, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. Um, you don't. Um, we got problems. Just simple as that. And, um, but Eric didn't let, it, didn't let it rest there. He said, well, I got to ask a question. He said, um, we're intending to move into the worst neighborhood in town. We're intending to move where there's drugs and gangs and crime. And we're going to move there because we think the Lord Jesus wants us to go there um, for the gospel's sake, for his glory's sake. So when I take your daughter into the most dangerous neighborhood in the community, will you consider that taking care of your daughter? That's a darn good question, isn't it? And, a, and words came out of my mouth that did not come from my heart. My heart was like, good point. You don't, you don't have my blessing. <laughs> um, but the words that came out of my mouth were, Eric, if you don't take my daughter there, um, then, um, then you don't have my blessing. Um, because I'm far more worried about um, the prosperity of our culture ruining the souls of my grandchildren um, than I am the dangers of that neighborhood. The dangers of that neighborhood pale in comparison to the corroding effect of our culture. <laughs> Stay on mission, Brandon. And finally, not just mission, hardship, um, service, but the good soldier doesn't go in the battle alone. The good soldier has an advocate. Our advocate is twofold. The good soldier, the pastor, finds strength in the advocacy of the church. The wise congregation fights for their pastor. I'm going to give you two quick ways. The first is the wise congregation figures out what their job is and what his job is. Okay? And if you get that confused, you may well not be a happy camper here. Ephesians chapter four says it well. It's really the only place that it clearly defines what the role of the pastor is. It says, and God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers. There it is. That's actually one word in the Greek. 
Pastor teacher is one word. We're not apostles, we're not prophets, we're pastor teachers. And what's the job of the pastor teacher? Is it to do the work of the ministry? What does that passage say? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So who does the work of the ministry? You do. You're the ministers. The church members are the ministers. What's the pastor's job? It's to teach the members how to do the ministry, right? We get that completely confused. We think you go to church to be ministered to. In fact, you are a part of this church to be sent out to be the ministers, to do the ministry. That's your job. Um, I used to tell people regularly when they joined the church, if you're sick and you're in the hospital, I'm not coming. It's not my job. I wouldn't be doing my job if I came. Now it is my job to see that you get visited, to see that you get encouraged, to see that you get taken care of. And if nobody comes and visits you, then I haven't done my job. It's not that I don't visit you, it's that others don't visit you because then I haven't trained the members, right? To do their job. You're the ministers. I ordain you. I install you as, uh, as the ministers today. Brandon's to teach you how to do the ministry. That's his job. Um, it's not unusual for people to call up and, and sometimes in church office and they say, I've been sick for two months and, and, and nobody from the church has done anything. Nobody's come, nobody's did that, nobody's done that, nobody's done this. And then, and then our, our great um, team there will say, um, how about your small group? Um, oh, they're awesome, our small group. They brought us meals, they feed us, they drive us to the doctor's appointments, they've been by our bedside, they pray for us, they do all that for us. So what are they saying? When they say the church has done nothing, they're saying the, the pastors, where are the pastors? Well, the pastors are doing their job. In fact, I've showed up at car wrecks at Citrus Hospital. A family got in a, a big car wreck, very dangerous. The whole family was in the emergency room being treated. And I showed up there. I could hardly make it down the hallway. Their whole small group was there. And in fact, when I showed up there, they all looked at me like, you didn't think we could do it, did you? <laughs> Go home. Um, so that's one way we support the pastor when we understand we're the ministers. And the second is cheer him on, pray for him, defend him. What does Thessalonians, um, say? We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, esteem them very highly in love. If God is for you, Brandon, um, who can be against you? Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, I will pay, pray for you as your advocates. They will pull for you. Jesus, of course, is your advocate. You know, by the way, determine that nobody's more encouraged, is gonna be more encouraged than, um, than your pastor. Um, it's not unusual for people to say things to me like, um, you know, you, you must be so, you know, proud, you know, you built this church. And after I throw up, um, then I want to say, um, are you kidding? I didn't build this church. This church built me. This church, I was a crummy preacher. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't think I ever led anybody to faith in Christ when I became the pastor of this church. This church believed in me, prayed for me, um, love me, encourage me, put up with my crazy ideas. This church built me. I didn't build this church. And, uh, what the, and, and that's my admonition to you to Brandon. Take him, love him, 
uh, support him um, all the way. Um, so the, the, the good soldier finds advocacy in the support of the church. And as I was saying, they find advocacy in Jesus, right? My child, Paul writes, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. The good soldier realizes his strength isn't in his giftedness or personality or wisdom or education. Nothing will sustain him but Jesus. Brandon, Jesus will be all you have. You'll have the support of your wife. She's awesome. Your kids will always like you until they're teenagers. Um, but Jesus, there'll be moments where Jesus is all you have and you will discover that he's all you need. Ministry will enhance your insecurity. It will pound you with your failure. Demons will come in the dark of the night whispering, Brandon, who are you kidding? You're a fraud. But Jesus will hold you fast. You will find Jesus trustworthy. His grace will sustain you. He will do the work. He will win the hearts of your children. He will take care of your wife. He will give her joy in doing ministry with you. And he will keep your soul. When a soldier goes off to war, he wonders. What does he wonder? I wonder if I have what it takes. I wonder if when the bullets start flying, whether I'll cut and run, whether I'll be a coward, right? I wonder if I have what it takes. Brandon, you don't. You don't, but you have Jesus, and he has you, and that's enough. So Brandon, God has called you to be senior pastor of Seven Rivers Church, and it'll be the most costly thing you ever do. And chances are good that it will not bring you fame or fortune, but you will be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, following in the footsteps of all the Martin Lloyd Joneses and the and all the greats, all the Martin Luthers, all the others. It's the greatest life there is. Brandon, I love you. I'm proud of you. And my prayer for you is that you'll have as much fun being senior pastor as I have. May God bless you, Brandon, my son. Amen. Lord Jesus, you love your church. You've provided us with a new senior pastor. We call your name great. We hold up our friend, our brother. We thank you that Brandon's not new to us. We got to watch him grow up. And now we get to follow him in this mission. We thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.